0: Hi, I'm Zach. I've been working in beer for well over a decade, so it's not uncommon for me to find myself enjoying a pint and great conversation with some of the most interesting folks in the brewing industry. Since many of the world's most entertaining discussions happen over a beer, I thought it might be fun to share a few of mine with you. This is Zach Talks Beer. Welcome to Zach Talks Beer. This is an informal podcast in which I welcome friends and peers from the brewing industry on for an unfiltered, honest, and oftentimes fun conversation about working in beer, life outside of beer, and everything in between. My name is Zach Nichols, and I'm a brewer and a small brewery owner, originally from Wisconsin, but now I'm based outside of beautiful Boulder, Colorado. And I've been in the beer world professionally since about 2009-2009. And I've met and spent valuable time with a lot of great people in that stretch. And my guest today is certainly one of them. Um, so I'm happy to welcome Matt Van Wick of Song onto today's show. Matt, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Zach.
0: How are things in Oregon? You're, you are in
1: Oregon at the moment, right? I am in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, and uh, the rainy season has started and uh, nice. it's, we're, we're getting wet. Yeah, yeah uh
0: that's kind of how how things go this time of year out there
1: they they do although we had 60 and sunny for a for a bottle release recently so we had lots of guests on our patio and it was it was nice and sunny so i won't complain too much
0: nice that's awesome did you guys have an actual fall there or do you get actual fall? And-
1: no it, it is it is pretty good it it, it so, uh, most of the time it doesn't uh get too hot uh into September and then October. But yeah, the rains do come. You know, the crazy thing about Oregon is that you get some peaks of sun even during the rainy season. And so you might have a day that's you know 62 degrees and sunshiny and then the next day it rains. So it's just off and on. Sure. It's sure. not bad.
0: Yeah I've just I, I had have to have rake
1: leave. So yeah I had to rake leave. So that's the fall, right?
0: Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right on, man. Well, and you guys are based in or right outside of Eugene, correct?
1: That's right. We, uh, we're in Eugene, Oregon and, uh, the, the brewery and tasting room is about 20 miles Southwest of town, but we've got a warehouse in town and we opened a new tasting room in town. So we, we call ourselves Eugene, even though our, our main barrel, uh, where, uh, tasting room and uh, barrel cellar is out in the country. Absolutely. That's awesome.
0: Cool. Uh, well, let's see. So to to kick things off real quick, um, why don't we touch on kind of how we know each other actually? Um, I don't know if you want to kind of speak to that or if you want me to take the reins on it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the way we know each other is, uh, I reached out to you kind of randomly because, um, uh, I've judged GABF for several years. And, um, every time I judge when I see people who make sort of like-minded beers, uh, like you guys at seller West, um, and I sit on a judge panel, I'll see who won. And when I have some fantastic beers, I will just, uh, you know, sometimes reach out to those people. Uh, we're all about making friends in this industry. And, um, uh, I don't remember which beer it was that we gave a medal to. Was I think it, it was make hay. Yeah. Yeah. It and May, I think yeah. I, I think when I looked to see what the brewery was about and who made that delicious beer that we gave a medal to, uh, I saw that you were a, um, uh, a Badger, a University of Wisconsin graduate. And uh, since I uh, was born and raised in Iowa, that makes us bitter rivalries and hated enemies. That's <laughs> but right. uh, I, I, reached, I reached out and just told uh, you that it was a fantastic beer and uh, I was kind of inspired by it. And, uh, and by the way, let's, uh, let's bring up this rivalry of the Hawkeyes versus the Badgers. <laughs> <and> <laughs> maybe put some beer bets on it or something like that. So I think that was the first time we sort of met unless we met before that. I'm not certain.
0: No, I think that was it. And I, if I remember correctly, we put a, we kind of put a collaboration wager on that, that game that year. That's um, right. Where That's whoever right. won, uh, we would go to their brewery and uh, and make a beer together And Wisconsin won that year. And yeah.
1: And it turns out Wisconsin has been winning most of the years. And so luckily I got to go out and brew at cellar West, which was fantastic.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse than Colorado, but, you know, Oregon, I I would take a trip to Oregon any day of the week. So let's,
1: let's do that sometime too. Yeah,
0: no, I'm with you, man. Um, Awesome. Cool. We got that out of the way. Let's uh, before we get too far out of ourselves um, I think we should open a beer. Uh, Yeah. So yeah. So I like to ask guests who come on the show to bring with them a beer that is special to them. So it can be their own beer. It can be something local that they're really into at the moment, or it can be simply something that uh, they enjoy or they've enjoyed for a long time and they think deserves a, a little bit of love. So uh, what do you got tonight?
1: So I, uh, you mind if I open this while I start talking about it? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Didn't, I, I didn't open it yet, but I figured I should do that on the air. So, you know, I'm really drinking here, You're right? Um, I don't know if the microphones pick it up, but we're going into the glass. I have Rodenbach Grand Cru and uh, it is a not a beer I drink that often, but there is a little bit of story behind it. Uh, and basically if you're a brewer or own a brewery or something like that, everyone always asks you, Hey, what's your favorite beer? What's the favorite beer style? What's your favorite, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's so hard to pick anything. So I've never been able to pick my favorite beer of all time. Um, but uh, I've been in the brewing industry for, um, or at least being paid to make beer for about 20 years. And people always ask that question. And, and for a long time, I, I, Because I love the beer, Rodenbach Grand Cru was was the beer I said. And and the reason is because during sort of the formative years of uh, discovering craft beer and home brewing and getting into it, um, it was a beer that just blew me away. Uh, Flanders Red Ale, wonderful sweet sour, balsamic vinegar, you know, acetic acid notes, things like that was just like a beer unlike any I had ever had before. Um, And so it was kind of on my favorite list. And so I just always gave that as this is my favorite beer of all time. Um, But the reason I chose it today was because I was very lucky to, um, um, well, I had it judged a couple of times with Peter Buchart of currently Purpose Brewing um, prior to that New Belgium. Uh, And prior to that, the Rodenbach Brewery, when he was in Belgium, before he came out to New Belgium, uh, and we just had him as a guest at our brewery for a beer dinner and uh it was fun to uh get back together with him um and rekindle some some relationship and it just made me think about rodenbach again because it was a beer i hadn't had in forever and you said pick one that means something to you and uh so this came to mind and i'm going to take a sip
0: go for it yeah that's great that's such, a, that's good. such an awesome beer Love oh yeah beer. and it's such a great beer to uh introduce people to Sours and, and yeah. more acidic based beers because it does have that sweetness to it and a little bit of that malt complexity. And I think that and Duchess are the two that,
1: you know, when someone's like,
0: Oh, I've never really had a sour beer I like. And you know, that's those are two that are are great to kind of turn people onto the the style.
1: Oh, for sure. And you know, I love lambic beers and goose and things like like that. But, um, the first time I had it, it was at the map room in Chicago. This was, this was like, nice. uh, I was
0: going to ask you where you had it for the first time. Yeah.
1: This was like, that's, that's, I think the first place I ever saw it or someone introduced me, um, there and it was probably the early two thousands. Um, and I, I drank a goose cause I actually it was probably Jeff Sparrow who wrote one of the first books on, on it called wild Brews. Um, he's telling me how much I should love this. I don't know what was Cantillon or what, it, what it was actually, but regardless, I drank that and it was, you know, a little cheesy, a little funky, a little earthy, a little barnyard. And I'm like, who would drink this stuff? This is awful because it was dry and it was tart and all those flavors that we love now. And I, that's, that's probably a style. I love the best, um, but you're right. Introducing someone with a Flanders red is easy because there's sweetness and there's tartness, but it's not kill your palate, sourness and things like that. So,
0: right. Right. Do you guys do anything similar to that? Do you guys do any Flanders reds at ale song? That's yeah,
1: That's yeah. That's the other thing I was going to say why it's, um, sort of still an important beer to me because it's one of my lifelong goals to make a classic Flanders red that someone say, let's say you entered the world beer cup that a a Belgian judge would say, this is awesome or something like that. But it's a very hard beer style to make as you know, because absolutely if if you have any fermentable sugars in there and you have a mixed culture beer, um, it's going to want to keep fermenting. So, you know, I, I've heard they use a pasteurizer over at Rodenbach and, um, uh, I've had some great examples of it. It's, it's something I've been trying to do, and we do make a red sour, dark sour beer, red sour beer called. Uh, it's our Parliament series, so we'll we've got cherry Parliament, raspberry Parliament. Um, so we make something that we call inspired by Flanders Red, but I've still yet to nail it. It's it's something I'm trying to figure out.
0: It seems like a style that really to do it the way that we think of it, at least in you know America, um, and and probably for the most part in Belgium as well it seems like a style that to, to really nail, you almost have to pasteurize it or I think so along those lines, because you have to have that sweetness, um, you know, and, and you also want the acidity. Uh, so if you let it keep going, uh, it's obviously just going to get super dry. You're not going to have that sweetness. It's just going to turn to this, you know, acidic vinegar, red thing. Yep. Beverage. Yep. That's right. Um, yep. So yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, well, I'm going to dig into my beer here. I yeah. have got a, uh, Bell's two-hearted. Oh, great! And I'm going with this one, uh, just in light of the recent news of of Bell's selling um, and joining in with New Belgium. You're you're privy to all this information, correct? I'm not.
1: Yep, yep, yep. It was fun to read about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Kind of a cool, cool deal, and uh, happy for Larry Bell. Um, you know, regardless of of what people's opinions may be on. Them selling and moving on. I think Larry made a lot of really great contributions and and pioneered and pushed forward uh, craft beer and beer as we think of it in the U. S. today. For sure, uh, he's getting up there in age, and I'm happy for him that he can step back and and uh, enjoy his life a little bit and get outside and do whatever he wants. So uh, very cool for them, and and uh, I'm gonna continue drinking too hearted whenever, whenever I see it. So,
1: Oh yeah. And it's a great beer too. I didn't realize that there was so much bells in Colorado or you could get it so, so easily until I was just there uh, this last fall, I guess it was August, September that I was there. Uh, and it sounds like they sell quite a bit of bells in Colorado.
0: Yeah. That's a newer thing. I, th- I think they okay. came to the market. If, if, if I recall correctly, it's probably been two years, maybe three, but um, they hit the market really hard, uh, as they, they seem to do a good, gu- a good job of rolling their beer out into to new States, but yeah, they hit the market hard and they had boots on the ground and with, you know, real quickly, you were seeing their beer everywhere. So, yeah. and they do a really good job of, of turning it over. It's always relatively fresh in my experience and, and, uh, all that. So, um. Yeah. So I'm happy for those guys. It's it's a great
1: beer and it's amazing how, how, how beer brings up memories of things, right? I, I, I love Bell's beer as well and uh, I wish we could get it in Oregon, but uh, it makes me think back to the late nineties when, again, I was just starting to get into craft beer. I was actually drinking imports like Guinness and bass and stuff like that. But uh, my wife was finishing her master's degree at count Western Michigan in Kalamazoo and we would go like every weekend I visited. I lived in Chicago area. She lived in Kalamazoo and we would go drink at, um, you know, at that time I was probably 10 or 12 years old, but the early bells brewing and had so many good times there. And when I saw the sale of that, it just brought back those memories of sitting in their pub on a cold Michigan day and drinking beers and playing checkers in their pub. It's fine.
0: Sure. sure. I think, uh, my, my earliest introduction to this beer was probably, I, I want to say I was 2021, something like that. But I was living in Madison at the time, Madison, Wisconsin, and, uh, had just, uh, you know, I was broke college student had a local uh, bar that I would hit up every once in a while after I got off shift, I worked at a a beer shop and go over there and have a beer or two. And I learned that they had a, like a late night happy hour. And it, it coincided just when, when I got off work and, uh, I'm sitting at the bar and the girl's like, Hey, we got, uh, we're doing two for one tall boys you know, and they had a decent craft selection on. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I might do a pint of something, but what, what do you got in tall boys? You know, and it was high life and Schlitz and PBR and they're on the Perfect. end. Two hearted. And I was like, two hearted's not included. Right. And she's like, no, that's two for one too. Nice. And yeah. So it became a, a tradition for me to, to go have a couple two hearteds there and have brought friends there before. And, and they've, uh, you know, partaked in in that tradition as well. So, but yeah, great beer. Uh, just a, a beautiful celebration of American, you know, malts and and centennial hops. And uh, if I, I think I heard the story on this beer, and they actually originally uh, they came across a, a quite a heap of centennial that I think was grown in Wisconsin, hmm. and uh, just tossed it into this this kind of early years American IPA, and and it uh, caught fire and grew from there. So interesting. But uh, excellent. All right. Well, let's yeah. So let's talk a little more about Ailsong. We were kind of talking about your your program and what you guys do over there um, in regards to your your you know, pursuit of a, a Flanders Red. But uh, tell me a little more about Ailsong, what you guys are kind of specializing in and what you're what you're going after and, and carving your kind of niche into.
1: Yeah, so we started Ale Song in 2016, and I was previously brewing at another brewery uh, in Eugene, Oakshire. And uh, Oakshire was a a brewery that did all kinds of different um, beer styles from IPAs to lagers. Uh, And I started the barrel aging program there, and I started helping them um, package beer and things like that. But we grew it from a 1,000 barrel brewery, this is Oakshire, to 10,000. And it became something that, you know, we just... Cranking out a growing brewery um, in the the late 2010s era, and uh, I had a uh, guy working for me named Brian Coombs, who uh, was a recent Oregon graduate and a and a bio, uh, chemistry major, and um, he needed to do a little bit of a uh, uh, what do you call it um, internship, and so he said, "Hey, I'm going to go to the brewery." So he came in and asked if we'd let him do an internship as he finished up his college degree, and and I said yes, and. Turned out that he worked for us, started our quality lab, did some stuff in packaging and became a friend as well. Um, uh, but he, after working a couple of years and working sort of second shift at our growing brewery, um, was really interested in the barrel program that we were doing at Oakshire. And when you were growing brewery with canning and all that stuff, you have to wait till the forklift's done, the canning line's done, all that stuff to do the fun projects, which we brewers like to do, which is barrel aging. And so he came to me one day after, um, hatching this plan of making an all barrel aged brewery and said, uh, we should leave here and and do this. And, um, you know, I thought he was crazy because I had a pretty good job and, you know, family and all that stuff. And I thought, I'm never going to be a business owner. I didn't get into this to open my own brewery. Um, I really enjoy brewing. I enjoy the industry we're in, but it, it wasn't my thing to own a brewery, but uh, anyway, right place, right time. He uh, recruited his brother who's got some um, uh, history and the wine industry and more of the financial side down in Sonoma, Napa. And, uh, anyway, he was going to help us keep this business together from a number standpoint, at least, which I have no talent in doing. Uh, so we bit the bullet in 2016 we opened ale song and it is a all barrel age brewery. Um, and we are out in wine country, Southwest of Eugene, Oregon at the Southern tip of the Willamette Valley. Um, and everything we make and, and produce, um, is aged in some sort of oak whether it's retired wine barrels or some sort of spirits barrel Um, and we have some large format oak tanks as well Um, we are not a belgian only brewery but we're very much inspired by the belgian tradition Um, and we were not a sour beer only brewery but we do brew a lot of those Uh, we just tell people we're a a barrel-aged brewery where we're exploring the use of oak in making beer sure that's what we do
0: very cool and where, so what, uh, what is the, what is the fascination with the the barrel and the oak side of it? Is it just that <clears throat> trying to lean more into what you perhaps didn't have enough time to do when you were with Oakshire, or is it something that maybe goes a little bit further than that?
1: Well, you know, that, that, that second thing you said about not having time at a, a larger production brewery where, you know, it doesn't become your focus. I mean, look, a lot of breweries, uh, take, take, um, new Belgium, for example, where I just mentioned them earlier or take bells, for example, um, Deschutes, any of these larger breweries, they have way more barrels than we do. Um, but it's a very, very small portion of what they do. It's just like a, a fun little add on that. Probably the bean counters don't like, cause they're losing money on it because it's so labor intensive and, you know, so, so much capital involved. Um, so, so that's part of it because we're able to focus on that. But to me, the real thing is. I've always loved how beer is made of the four ingredients and sometimes only those four ingredients, water, malt, hops, and yeast. Um, and, and you can take that and add another element to it, another ingredient really, which is the barrels. Um, and, uh, you know, many of our beers are yeast driven and many of our beers have, um, different fruits that we use from, from Oregon. So we've got other things that we can add to the mix to, um, you know, to, to affect the final outcome of the beer, but I just love what you can do with barrels. Um, And it really adds another layer of complexity. And and even if it's just the mixed culture beer, that's in a neutral oak wine barrel um, you're just layering complexities. I, I cook a lot. And so I enjoy that complexity in food. And I kind of take that thinking into making beer as well, where you just layer the flavors, layer the flavors, make something so complex and I think barrel aging can get you there. So that's why I like it.
0: Sure. And you, so you guys are doing plenty of sours, you're doing farmhouse yep. sales or Saison's and, and you are doing some, you know, other uh, clean beers, if you will, uh, stouts, porters, things like that. Is that, what, what, what percentage of your production is, is encompassed by that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, that that's a good question. I should have that number readily available, but uh, uh I would say you could probably go, um, it it might be sort of 50, 50 in the, the Brett farmhouse sort of thing and mixed culture, sour beers is kind of half of it. And, and spirits barrel age is the other half. A part of that reason is, um, you know, a a bourbon barrel age stout sells pretty quickly, especially in the winter time and, and rainy season. Like now, like for instance, we just had a release, actually we're in the middle of our recent bottle release. And we have a old fashioned inspired beer, Asian bourbon barrels. We have an Imperial milk stout, uh, Asian bourbon barrels. And then, a that same beer with coconut Asian bourbon barrels. And then one, uh, mixed culture blueberry beer. Typically we don't have one to four or one in three. So t- 25%, but I would say if you looked at our whole year's production, you would be about 50, 50.
0: Sure. So on, on a packaging run of, stout, let's say what, uh, yeah. you know, how many barrels are you packaging on? That?
1: Uh, well, we, uh, let's see our, um, it, it depends if it's going to the wholesale market. So typically what we do, this is sort of an interesting concept is we do four beers every quarter, sometimes five, if we have an extra one ready, but it's four beers. One is for our club only, and you can't even buy it in our tasting room. You have to be in our, our bottle club and that's our smallest blend. And then we have one that you can only find at our tasting rooms. That's our next biggest blend. And then the other two go to wholesale and they're of course bigger. And basically the smaller blends are in the 15 to 20 barrels each and the larger blends right now are in about 60 barrels each. And we sell about 500 barrels a year, rough numbers. Zach talks beer is supported by Seller West artisan ales. Seller West is an award-winning small brewery in Lafayette, Colorado just outside of Boulder, and a short drive to nearby Denver. Named one of Beer Advocate's best new breweries in 2018, Cellar West crafts a variety of small batch beers, ranging from barrel-aged farmhouse ales to rustic European lagers. Planning a trip to Colorado? Be sure to add Cellar West Artisan Ales to your list of brewery visits. And now, back to the show.
0: my wife and I were just in Sonoma and Napa for our anniversary in September and had a blast. It was our first time out there. Uh, And a lot of what you seem to be uh, embodying sounds a lot like what I experienced at a lot of these wineries there. Um, Am I off on that?
1: No, you're totally right. And we set out to have, we, we steal a lot more things from the winery industry than we really do from the brewing industry. Um, We've got a club right now that has almost a thousand people in it, uh, we rely on our two tasting rooms that we've opened in our club for the bulk of our sales. And then we sell a little bit where we can, unfortunately we can't ship to many States. And so most of it is sold in Oregon. We've got some distribution in California and Washington, uh, but it's, it's such and in a couple of the States, but it's a small piece. We sell the bulk of it to people coming through or people that are already in our, our beer club.
0: Sure. And that what, what is, um, Is that, is that sort of something that is always in the back of your mind that you're thinking of these, these wineries and how you, you guys can sort of align yourselves a little bit more with, with what they're doing and how they approach their business. Or is it something that just seems to to naturally happen based on the way that you make your beer, the type of beer you're making, the way you, you go about selling it.
1: Yeah, I think we're very purposeful about it. Um, because, um, one thing that the wine industry did really well, and it was before my time of being legal to drink, but um, from what people tell me, is the wine industry used to be just sort of big bottles of, of Ernest Julio Gallo. You know, these big companies that had sprawling right. vineyards across Oregon. I'm sorry, California. And it was never these niche kind of small, um, personally owned or, or small wineries, boutique wineries, things like that. But they did a good job of uh, A branding themselves as something, you know, uh, you know, with, with the fine dining movement and, and farm to table stuff, um, and uh, really also use the travel industry for people visiting California, and then they got themselves able to ship to multiple states, um, and they really Made the marketing of wineries into something that um, you know you want to bring bottles for a gift. You it was it became a status symbol, and you would bring it to Thanksgiving dinner and to your in-laws' house when you're going to something nice. And on the other hand, beer, while uh you know I love to crack a can of suds with my buds, it has really become a blue-collar thing in so many ways, and sort of the craft movement has changed that a bit, right? Bring, bring in some high higher uh, higher dollars to sort of beer drinking and sure. maybe beer beer for a special occasion. But in the most part, people still think of beer is what I drink with my buddies at the tailgate and wine is something I take to my, to meet my girlfriend's parents for the first time or something like that.
0: Right. and That's what my question was going to be is when you guys go into some of these nicer restaurants in, you know, say Portland and you say, hey, look, we have these, you know, beautiful beers that were aged for one, two, three years in, in an oak barrel that we source from Napa or or down the street at our local vineyard. Um, you know, does that translate? Do you guys get a little bit of pushback on that? Is there still some education involved, even with these these beverage directors and people who who maybe on the surface you'd think should know about a brewery like Alesong and and sort of why they're you know, the beers are priced at a premium and why they do demand such a, you know, a fine setting to, to be enjoying them in.
1: Right. I, I, um, it's a challenge because I, you know, I was, I was about ready to say that I, we we really think, and I'm glad you brought up restaurants that, you know, beer deserves a place at the dinner table and get, I, you know, Garrett Oliver has been saying that forever at Brooklyn Brewing Company, you know, he wrote the Brewmaster's Table, kind of an important book in the food and beer pairing world. Um, and so we want, we think we should be able to sell beer in restaurants and nicer restaurants, places where they're bringing you this awesome wine list. Um, the problem is not so much sort of the buyers or the chefs, the owners, many of them know that some of these beers that are served like ours in Cork and Cage or, you know, with with nice packaging, they should be on the menu. I think the problem is our country of beer drinkers, the people who love beer haven't quite gotten there yet because most of the time so you sit in a restaurant that's got this like high dollar steak that you can buy it's delicious or or a small plate restaurant or something and people are like if they're not ordering wine they're just like ah give me the pilsner give me the ipa because of course everyone's drinking an ipa and it's just because that's what you're going to have on draft so you see those things or or if they're fancy they might get you a stella artois or something like that right and you're like great thanks for the fancy beer stella right okay (laughs) <laughs> so, so, so we want it to go there and we're, we're working on it slowly, but it's a, it's an uphill climb to convince people.
0: Sure. And is this sort of at the moment, is this a, uh, something that you guys are committed to in terms of, you know, a hundred percent of your portfolio being based around these Oakage beers, or is there, are there conversations, uh, around adding a, a Pilsner or a you know, Pacific Northwest IPA that's done in stainless. Um, not that there's a right or wrong answer. It's just kind of yeah. an interesting well, thought we, process here.
1: We we've always pondered it, but never given it much credit because you know we've been around for five five and a half years. I guess we've been selling beer, and I am still shocked that we have stuck to our guns and said we're a barrel aged brewery and we don't have to make an IPA because there's so many good IPAs in this country. Um, and but but I don't want to compete with those people, you know. Um right. Sometimes I do want to make it for my own, but you know, in Oregon, we have so much good beer. I can just go into the store and buy world-class pilsners, you know, I can go to Freem Pilsner, Briggside Pilsner, like whomever is making just great beers. So I don't need to make it myself, I don't need it for my ego. Um, and quite frankly, I guess I didn't mention this before, but we did start the brewery not as an all-barrel-aged brewery, we did um Every release, we would have four beers and three were barrel-aged. One was non-barrel-aged. Mm-hmm. And we called that the instant gratification beer. Don't sell it, don't store it, just mm-hmm. drink it. And they were mostly Belgian styles, like Cezanne's. Um, maybe mm-hmm. we'd do like a Fruited Gozer or something like that, um, you know, a Grisette. Uh, we could play with some different Belgian, classic Belgian styles. Uh, but then we realized it was, we're doing so much effort to make this volume of beer. And, and really, it was probably selling 50% of our beer. So we, our, our staff was telling people, oh, we're a barrel aged brewery and we weren't really all barrel aged brewery and you just don't make as much on something that costs $6 a bottle as you do for $16 a bottle. So we said, screw it. We're going to be all barrel aged. And and we have been ever since. So we don't have a real desire to change that and become something we're not. Um, The, the roll up the garage door in an industrial park and serve hazy IPAs works for a lot of thousands of breweries in our country but we're trying to be something different.
0: Totally. Totally. It's worked. Yeah. That's great. that it's working for you guys. That's awesome. What, um, what do you guys have in store? I mean, we were talking about your, the new tap room that you have in, in, is it downtown Eugene?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what's what, what are new plans on the rise and what are projects that you guys are you're excited about at the moment?
1: Right. So, uh, we opened our second taste room in the middle of a, world pandemic, which is always fun, but the reason that happened was we weren't really looking in Eugene because our tasting rooms are only 20 miles apart and in a college town, you know, you know, it's like, you know, Madison, you know, the size of that. There's only so many people, it's not like we're in Portland. Sure. And so that was a little bit risky, but the reason we did it was there was a uh, wine tasting room in this um, sort of higher end uh, marketplace in Eugene that uh, is right by some hotels. And definitely the, the shopping in this market is, is uh, um, higher end sort of people, people with some, a lot of disposable income. And they were doing some uh, uh, um, growth in that area. They were, they were developing some area. A new Nike store came in and some other shops and things like that. So we did, w- when they came to us and said, would you like to take over our tasting room? We're going to leave our lease. Um, we just said, we got to try this out for our second tasting room. Um, but we've been looking around to where maybe is next and, and open another tasting room somewhere. And, you know, it could be Portland, it could be farther afield or something. We're just trying to see if this Eugene one will work. So uh, that's been, that's been fun to figure out and sort of have an in-town place where people don't want to drive all the way to the country. Uh, they can do that. The other thing, which has been interesting, and we're, we're finally kind of getting our feet under us is when we opened that place, um, we could actually change how we operated the country brewery, Um, To do something more like we wanted to do anyway in the first place, but we're afraid to. And that is we're open every day in town at our new tasting room, um, 12 to 8 daily. And in the country, because it's a 20-mile drive and and we're in a smaller area, we're only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we're open by appointment. So uh, unless you're a club member, club members can come out, no reservation needed. But the general public comes out and does what we call a guided tasting. Um, They sign up online. Um, They have a slot that they come to our staff leads them through this awesome tour of the barrel cellar and our production methods and how we make beer. And then we sit down at a table and walk them through um, a four beer, four or five beer sampler. Um, And it's totally curated. It's not set the sampler down and walk away and say, let me know what you think. And we've got another level two called the blender circle experience that uh, involves food. And so a little bit more, but you get that same tour, you walk through the beers, but we have small bites that go with each one. So you get this little one-on-one experience and then you can spend the rest of the afternoon on the patio. Um, And certainly we have less volume of people coming in, but they like the one-on-one attention. Um, There's a lot of uh, signing up for our club when people realize what we have and what we do. So that's been kind of fun as well. And then on top of that, we're just keeping an eye on maybe where the next tasting room needs to go. That's kind of the business growth.
0: Sure. Yeah, it sounds like a great way to just kind of get people in your camp and and you know, make them believers in what you guys are doing and and get on well,
1: board and You, you know them. with these these type of beers that that we make and, and and you make some of them too, there's a lot of personal explanation that needs to happen to either new beer drinkers or even someone who's kind of experienced but maybe they drink IPAs and on a shelf, that beer may not move very fast because it's just another beer on the shelf, but if you have a staff talking to them, telling them how we add the bacteria and where we source the fruit from and what barrels these were in and all that stuff. It it makes it more personal to the person and they feel like they're part of the club and, and we're able to, to kind of get those people on our team and, and uh, it's been nice.
0: Yeah. I've always realized that, you know, with those types of beers, these Oak age beers that, you know, maybe have expressive yeast character or, or some fun, unique ingredients in them, things like that, that, you know, upon first glance, you read the sentence, the descriptor and, might turn people off, or or they can't wrap their head around it, uh, or it's too much to kind of take in. We those types of beers you might think sell really well at the you know fifty tap beer bar place, but we actually mm-hmm. have had at Stellar West a lot of success selling those types of beers at you know local eight tap places that might have a couple local pilsners, a local IPA, and then our oak aged saison with you know, local ingredients and, and other fun things in it, because people say, whoa, what is that thing? And then the and bartender you, you, says, oh, that beer is really
1: cool. Let me tell you about it. Do you think that's also because, I mean, you're able to get those in there because uh, a lot of people aren't selling those right now, right? So the stuff I, that you make at your brewery and I make at my brewery is way different than the Pilsners and IPAs we see on everyone's tap. And so it gives a little bit of a, hey, something new and different, right?
0: Sure. And I think circling back to what you were talking about earlier and getting into the economics of things a little bit, you know, we talked about how new Belgium and, and Bell's and some of these breweries have uh, strong barrel programs, but they're a little bit of an afterthought. Yeah. Um, you know, where for breweries like us, we're small and we're nimble enough uh, where we can make them a little bit more of a focus. Right. And that's why some breweries are afraid to, to attack those beers because it's like, man, I, you know, I can't sell that beer. And it's like, well, you're going to se- you could probably sell just as much of it as, as I will but I don't have to sell as much of it as you do. Right. right? Like, that's right. Not, that's you, right. My, we're, we're we're hitting the same financial benchmark, but that money probably goes a lot further for a brewery my size or, or your size than a, a Bell's,
1: right? Yeah, that's right. If you, if you think about it in terms of numbers of CEs that you have to hit, or, you know, this many cases or this many kegs, it's not going to be the same as an IPA. And one thing that I tell people, you know, inside the industry is is sort of like, uh, you know, I usually don't, advertise this big time, but our brewery likes to slow down and pick up dimes rather than hurry up and pick up pennies. And I feel like when you're making beer, that's not very expensive or, or whatever, because of our low margins on making beer, we don't, we don't have, there's not a lot for profit on, on making beer because we're so capital intensive in our, in our industry, but you're just, you're just picking up pennies, but you're going as fast as you can to get the most pennies you can. I'd rather slow down and, and grab a dime or two and it's worked for us. So
0: sure. that's awesome. That's amazing. What, um, what, what do you guys say, what do you have going on in your life outside the brewery right now? I, you know, I always like to try to touch on a little bit of a, you know, humanitarian side of things a little little personal side what uh how are things going what's uh what's well
1: you know it's amazing you probably talked to a lot of brewers and most of them will say outside the brewery what do you mean (laughs) right right. uh but you know living in oregon like you in colorado there's a there's a slew of outdoor activities to do so you know whether you're skiing in the winter or or camping in the summer that's what i try to do when i have time but then the other thing too is i i now have a 16 year old and 18 year old. And um, boy. The, the good thing is I don't have to chase them around anymore. They're both driving and, and whatnot. But uh, what it means is not too much longer will be empty nesting. Uh, we are uh, trying to figure out colleges right now and figure out where they're going uh, to the, what they're going to do when they leave the nest. And so that's been uh, taking up our focus here at home. And um, as yeah, soon I'll get to spend more time with my wife, which is fantastic. Nothing wrong with that
0: no not I don't at all are you guys doing college visits and things like that and well
1: so sort of we we started but um um turns out this covid thing gets in the way of that uh yeah. there's there's things happening on zoom and stuff and we actually spring break we did take a trip down to california just because we could but no one was given tours yet and so we did a little bit of a stealth mode thing where we visited campuses and just snuck around where they let us in and um couldn't see much but it was a start to see sort of what campus looked like and things like that but i'm ready to get things back to normal where you see college kids on a campus and you see people in a bar and i mean it's getting there but right this has been a long year and a half
0: right i'm with you man i'm with you hey uh locally out near you guys what what are are any breweries that you're enjoying right now that you've been hanging out at are you sticking to kind of some of your staples at you like to hang out in, in around Eugene, or is there anything new on the, on the, the map there?
1: You know, um, there's always something opening up. It seems like we haven't had too much here in Eugene. Um, I'm trying to think, think what kind of things I have been drinking. I, I didn't mention before I poured my Rodenbach Grand Cru into a, uh, Wolves and People glass. And I know, you know, those folks, and, sure, they're friends of ours. Uh, you've, you've, you've brewed a beer with them or, or more. And, uh, Fantastic beers, so I, I grab anything from Wolves and People when I can. Um, trying to think if there's anything new going on. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is when you um, when you uh, own a brewery, you like you have your head down in the weeds as much as you can. And and we drink some other people's beers when we find them in our cooler for some reason. Um, but often I'll go to uh, some of the standbys. I one of the best breweries in our town is cold fire. Uh, they're friends of ours. Um, I actually go to church with one of the owners. Uh, they're just great people. And the interesting thing is they opened the same year we did. Uh, and the reason that we became friends was there's a, there's a festival in town that, um, raises money for our local public radio station. And we always do a collaboration brew as a group of Eugene brewers. And and we, cause we have so many now we just pair up and we got paired up randomly out of a hat with them. And, yeah, it led to it led to friendship and and they're making some of the best beers in town i think
0: nice well i'll have to write that down i'll make sure that yeah cold,
1: cold, fire, if you, if, cold fire if you if you get to eugene uh, you probably can only get it in the state of oregon right now but you'll okay, get dra- out of here. are
0: they draft only or are they canned oh no they do cans
1: yeah okay. they they do cans and um they have a uh, they have a really good um they have a pretty good wild program too. They've got a fooder and some barrels. Um, th- the brewery is owned by two brothers, and one of them is a biochemist basically. And he is like, he knows his bugs and uh, he's got some really good wild beers. In fact, they won a JBF medal for a beer called Wild James, which is like a red ale that they make and put nice. some mixed culture in it. So they're doing some good stuff. Nice. Maybe I'll send you some. You know, I'll find some yeah, we'll do you. a little
0: tradesy. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Hey Matt, I don't want to take too much, too much of your time here. Um, thank you for joining me. What, uh, if people want to find out more about ale song, where do they go? Where do they find you guys online?
1: Uh, ale is our website, all kinds of crazy things and pictures of me there. Um, you can also sign up for our blender circle club there. Um, I believe, uh, we can ship to 22 States now, uh, if you're spread across the country. Um, and then we've got our social media channels at, uh ailsong brewing and and I use some things at Ailsong Matt uh is my Instagram uh and Twitter handle.
0: Excellent. Well Matt, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Zach. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Appreciate your time. And uh of course wish you and the team over there at Ailsong all the best. And let's hopefully get together soon to share a few beers.
1: Sounds great.
0: All right on, man. Well, hey, thanks for listening to Zach Talks Beer. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That's kind of how we keep this thing rolling along. We don't necessarily have a social media presence for the show, but if you visit zacktalksbeer.com, uh, you can contact me and you can check out all the new episodes. Um, I try to get one up every other week or so or as much as my life at the brewery allows for. Uh, and on that note, if you uh, want to visit Sellerwest.com or sellerwestartisanales Artisan Ales on Instagram or Facebook, uh, you can l- learn a little bit more about my small brewery in Colorado. So hope everyone has a great next few days and we'll circle back soon enough. Cheers.